Well, yeah. Well, it's afternoon where I am, but good morning because you're in a you're on a different continent now, aren't you? Oh, I, I am, and that's uh, the preamble to that for anyone listening. I think we talked about two episodes ago that I've I've moved. Well, I've moved again, mm-hmm. but this time permanently. So I'm currently in New York. I think we, as of today, is officially an intercontinental podcast, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. So it's been here now for what, six weeks, finally getting situated. It's mm-hmm. uh, The city is absolutely crazy in both the <laughs> best ways and the worst ways. Like it's... I thought London was hectic. Um, New York is a different sort of hectic, but in a good way. I feel very much at home here already, which is nice. Um, mm. But one thing that is, you know, when you move to a new city, it's tough with the time zones, you know, working, working my program, trying to, you know, stay in touch with fellows. You suddenly realize your entire support network in recovery is really only available until 4 p.m. And like probably many out there, I find the early morning hours and the evenings the worst. So, yeah, you, I have people you can talk at 10 a.m. because it's the afternoon for them. But as soon as it's 4 p.m., you're on your own. You got to figure it out. Yeah. And it's been, it's it's been kind of tough. And it's it feels like I've been pulling on like a bank of recovery. So I've been kind of taking money out of my recovery account, not mm. going to meetings really because it was just hectic moving in. Probably just another excuse on my end. But at some point over the last week or so, I noticed my balance is getting quite low. So I um I keep walking through you know, by for example dispensaries weed is legal here so I keep looking and I'm so curious like what's going on in there I wonder what they have hmm. oh what what in there can can I get and I hear that I'm pleading with myself I'm trying to come up with all the good reasons how this could support me in a better life and all that's just noise for you know I, I want to do drugs or drink or act out so I decided due to a lack of SAA meetings I was like well I'm gonna go to an AA meeting. Never been to one. I did quit drinking when I came into the program about a year and a half ago. Um, but never really, I knew drinking was a problem, but I never addressed it as the problem due to the sex would, addiction. Would you identify yourself as an alcoholic? See, that's the interesting thing. So I came to the meeting, um, found it a bit difficult. Just It was a bit shameful walking in there. And I noticed the shame was yeah. I didn't want to say I was an alcoholic. Yeah. I didn't want to. And it's interesting, like I wanted, wanted to say maybe someone in the meeting I was in on Friday, they said, I'm an addict. I was like, oh, that's great. The collection term. But I was thinking about Bill. No, actually, I used to drink from when I used to work in the bar industry from getting up, getting up in the afternoon till early morning hours. I used to drink liquor for like 12 to 14 hours straight every day. And I'm like, no, no, I, I definitely had a problem. I just never looked into it. And suddenly then it's starting to occur to me, all right, so I've done the S programs. Maybe, maybe I'm ready to do another one. And I didn't really expect to be, but it finally feels, I finally feel very ready for it. it it's really fun. Is is there a lot of, it, it's interesting, Just I was just thinking about the composition of the meetings and, um, you know, one of the things that I found or heard other people say is particularly, you know, SAA, there's, it's a relatively junior fellowship compared to AA, right? So you don't tend to find people. I don't think I know anyone in the rooms who's got 30, 40 years of sobriety in SAA. Um, I think I know one person with over 10 years and I know one person close to 10 years. And apart from that, I don't I don't know many people with many, many years of recovery. There's a handful um, of people. Uh, and, and it's interesting you saying you weren't going to SAA meetings in New York. Like, so I kind of had two questions on it because I don't know. One is, is there just a lack of SA meetings in New York? I'd have thought there'd be loads given how many there are in London. And then the, the other kind of thought I was having is, do you find there's just a different quality of sobriety in the AA meetings that you're, you you haven't found in SAA? Two great points and great questions. Uh, as for the frequency of the AA meetings, it's just, it's so abundant. I had no idea. Mm. So there's a church right next to where I live. Every week that there's a meeting at 11, 12, 30, and 2. That's just during the day. And then you got meetings wow. at night as well. And that's just the church that is three-minute walk away. Wow. Now, either I'm super lucky with location, and this is, you know, the recovery center of New York, or there's just more meetings. For the second part, it's it's funny you mentioned the thing about time and sobriety. My first meeting there, there was this old guy sitting across from me. He could barely 
barely read his phone. He was so old. Um, had like a monocle around his around his <laughs> neck, to, you know, like a magnifying glass. And he waited till last to share. And then it's like that was his thirty five year recovery anniversary in that meeting. Oof. And I was like, I've. I know the few people in London who have many years, and I know them by name because I can count them on one hand because yeah. they, it's not an old program. And then he shared, I can't remember quite what he shared, but it's funny hearing after 35 years, the message is the same. And there's just no noise in this message anymore. There's none of that, a lot of the stuff we talk about here, which is kind of pulls you in different directions, make recovery difficult. It's away. It's gone away. The message is suddenly simple. And you hear him share, and I, it all, as always, it resonates. Doesn't when I leave the meeting and I'll start listening to myself again, but it, it's cool and the the quality of recovery I feel like in AA is almost better. It's more structured. They have different meeting forms. Like every, anyone who's chaired a meeting is usually when I ask them how long you've been in, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like how long you've been sober, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And like there was this other day, there was a style of um, sharing which I really liked. That did I think it was Voices of Recovery. Yeah. And then the the secretary of the meeting shared for 10 minutes. So they had about 10 years of recovery. Really good share. It was yeah. about faith and the challenges around faith. And then they started with something called a pitch style sharing. So she just pointed at someone and they had to share. And then when oh. they were done, they could point at someone. <laughs> and just it, it was a fun way of sharing because now you're sitting there, you don't you might have a long time to think you might not. It's you kind of have to pay attention a little bit. It's just different than let's go around in the circle. So yeah, no, it's it's different, but it's good different. I think SA could learn a lot from AA. And I've just been to three meetings so far. I mean I I am I'm wouldn't identify myself as an alcoholic, but I am tempted to go to an open AA meeting. Because I think there's an awful lot of richness and experience and you know I, I i've been sponsored by the blue book i sponsor with the blue book myself and so um but when i speak to people who've got long time sobriety in aa i get a different message and i also hear this from people in na as well um that they you know they you know i've heard that they had a lot of literature that we might not have in say saa and i just wonder if that's just a, a function of just the relative maturity of a fellowship. It just takes time to build this up. It takes time um, for people to get sexually sober as well. And I think it's, you know, I've also heard people say, you know, because it's with substances, it's very black and white. It's very binary. Everyone has the same bottom line. It's it's very clear. And it's very binary about whether you relapse or not. But in SAA, it's, uh, you know, and I know SA has a fixed set of bottom lines, but in SAA, we don't. And so it's a lot more, gray it's a lot more ambiguous and that's got pros and cons with it right it's it, it does and it, it was interesting in that meeting I, I was kind of wallowing in my shame because i i didn't know if i was going to be accepted essentially because i've never called myself an alcoholic i like as i said i had a drinking problem and i never called it that but still i've had 18 months of sobriety from drinking it's it's quite an interesting one but mm-hmm. i haven't said since i didn't sit in those rooms i was like am i allowed to claim 18 months here that's like actually yeah first of all i should because i did but it feels a bit odd. Secondly, as kind of coming from the SAA or an S program, I didn't know if I was going to be accepted. It felt really weird. But I, mm-hmm. but if you flip it, like there's a lot of therapists doing, they ask you, what if a friend said the same to you? Well, yeah. I'd, like, I'd, if an alcoholic came to an SAA meeting, you're, the, I mean, you're just as welcome there as anywhere else. But it's still, I mean, they're stricter. It's like you said, it's black and white. So it feels like if you don't live under that black and white regime, have you really been doing it? Um, but when I shared that I was in an S program after the meeting, some people came up to me and they were like, I never thought of that really was an issue, you know, and I can mm. see it kind of when you say it, I'd see, do you know, that can also be overindulge and maybe that's part of the issue. And so alcohol is very abundant, right? Like I, I, if I, I don't know the stats behind this at all, but I would guess, say for example, in New York where weed's gotten legalized, I would assume that also NA meetings maybe have seen an increase in participants, mm-hmm. right? Because now it's just I, my next door neighbors to dispensary across the streets to the dispensary. There's a, there's more dispensaries than bars. It feels like right, it's everywhere. So it's it's like I, I, I think also as well is that you know I kind of remember before I got into this program. 
you know, re- reading stuff on forums, on whether on social media and things like that, and there, there seems to be a public perception of something like alcohol and drugs. That's an addiction, right? Something like sex, gambling, codependency. Th- th- these things aren't addictions. I, and I and I think just I would just maybe separate legally, oh sorry, legally, medically. I my, my understanding is that um, you can only have an addiction if there is a uh, a physical um, um, a, 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 a physical. Um, that's the word I'm looking for. I don't want to use the word dependency because actually okay. dependency is what is the opposite or, or not the opposite, but it's the, it's the you would like say, um, yeah. So, so yeah, if you, um, if you stopped having alcohol into your body, you can kill yourself just by the withdrawal from it. Now you wouldn't have that with sex uh, or from gambling or from uh, a behavioral, like, you know, gaming or something like that, for example. You, but, you so, so I think they would call it a, a dependency rather than addiction. But even so, I think a lot of people would question, you know, in the forums I saw, just questioned it and say, well, is it real? It's just a psychological thing. It's a mental thing. Just stop doing it, right? <laughs> Which, uh, so is weed, right? So is yeah. weed. You you don't die from stopping it. I, I smoked a lot, and I, that's kind of what goes into my drug bucket is that I did that all the time. I, from about yeah. 3, 4 in the afternoon, I was high for the rest of the night, right? It's quite debilitating for living a full and healthy life because you're cutting yeah. half your day short. But, yeah, no, I wasn't heavy on the cocaine or heroin or oxy or anything else. But still, I mean, weed isn't. Yeah. It isn't addictive in a physical sense. You can't mm. die from stopping it, but I couldn't stop using it. Mm. Same with sex. I couldn't stop yeah. using people. So then, where do you want it? Do we need a line? I don't know. Well, well yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, I mean, interesting this one you're saying about how you felt shame going into that meeting. And it's interesting because... Um, like no one wants to be an addict, right? <laughs> no, no one. That's not that's not people's first choice of like, hey, like define yourself. I want to be an addict, um, but I, I, uh, maybe I can say this because I don't have a problem with alcohol or drugs. But it feels like it is more socially acceptable, maybe, to say, hey, I've got a I've got a drink problem, than it is to say I've got a sex problem. But, and, and now I might yeah. be wrong. No, I think that, I think you're sense. right. The stigma that comes with Mm. saying I, I have a sex addiction sounds like you're doing things that are legally not okay maybe i or maybe i just feel i'm worried that that's going to be how they feel and i feel shame mm. i don't know but it's it feels mm. dirtier yeah do you know what i mean it feels more shameful at least it does in my head but maybe that's just because i'm not an alcoholic or a drug addict so to me it sounds more collateral alcohol yeah it could be collateral to others but you're mm. primarily harming yourself if if it barred the you know if you get abused when you yeah. drink, et cetera. If you borrow all those external things, but unless you just do sex with self, if you do sex with others, you kind of already starting to harm others, aren't you? By default. Well, yeah, and even if it's just porn, though, I say just porn. You, you know, if you're if you're got a porn addiction, there's still, I don't. Know, there's still, I think, a lot of stigma around that. Maybe, uh, and it's interesting that I think we we both feel happen to feel the same about this, and yet you go into an AE meeting and you feel shame. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really interesting because um, logically you could go, oh, well, you've, you've been in the sex program, recovery program, and you don't feel, sh- you know, I presume you don't feel shame because you've gone to meetings and you maybe past that boundary, you're past that barrier. And then you go into an AE meeting and you, it, it comes up again. It does. But I also recognize I never dealt with it. I went straight into mm-hmm. SA and then I didn't drink or do drugs because that led me to doing all those other behaviors. So it's just natural to let's not do them because I automatically, when my inhibitions goes away, I start chasing those other highs. But I said earlier, like I, when I used to work in a bar, I woke up at two in the afternoon, went to the gym from 4 PM. I was pouring Mm. whiskey in my coffee and I was (laughs) drinking. I was by like six, seven, eight, I was tipsy and I kept it going until four, five and six in the morning. Every day. Yeah. And it's almost like you're medicating your hangover, right? It never goes away, Mm -hmm. but you never had time off, so you can't stop. So it was a problem. But sitting in those meetings, the first time in a long time, I I felt at home. It's like, I kind of want to do the steps again. I didn't want to do them again in SA. And Mm -hmm. I struggled with that a bit. I was like, I I don't want to do it there again. It feels like that problem is it's never going to be solved, but it's been very much looked at. And I don't know what to look at right now, but in AA... I kind of I see what I could look at, if that makes sense. It it 
It does, and, it, and it's raising interesting thought for me because I'm, I'm actually reworking the steps in SA, but doing it in a different way, and I'm doing it with um, uh, in, in a way of a step exchange, which I hadn't heard of until the person I'm working that, that this method suggested it or proposed it, which is um, they take me through step one as if I'm their sponsor, and I take them through step one, at, you know, as as if they're my sponsor and we kind of do that and then we do step two and step three and we we kind of work it through and that gives us a different experience of of going through the steps in a different way um and one of the things that kind of came up actually was working on the step one which is around powerlessness and the powerlessness in step one says you know we're addictive over alcohol drugs whatever addictive behavior you know label codependency relationships what whatever program you're in and that we're powerless of that but that's the only time it says that every other time it talks about god higher power sanity all this stuff your, your addiction kind of only appears in step one it doesn't appear anyone else in the program in the steps and for me i was reflecting that really step one is an ingress point to powerlessness and and the reason this kind of came up I think as I'm working the steps because step one is I'm powerless and I don't know about you but when I did step one and also how I'm doing it again this time which is interesting is creating powerlessness lists and sometimes that's in a narrative form around a story of tell me all the bad stuff that's happened to you show me how bad your life got and you know how out of control it did and you write this long potted history over many many pages and little kind of war and peace or sometimes you write a list and you write about all the things that are unmanageable and all the things that are powerless that's that's kind of how I've done it and it's also how I'm kind of working it again in this program and and it really struck me is that there's there's different levels that you can think about your powerlessness at but it's really just the ingress point because when we get into this program certainly for me I was at the point where my powerlessness and unmanageability got so bad I was on my knees and I was desperate and I had to change right and that's the power you know that that's the insanity bit I, I couldn't stop doing this thing that was really destructive and I had to go I had to say, I am an addict, I am out of control, I am powerless, and that allows me to let go. And, and in the process of letting go, it's a process of surrender and acceptance. That is the catalyst to start to change. Now, the reality is I am powerless over practically everything in my life. Practically yeah. everything. And, and so working the steps again, and maybe doing it in AA, might be just a different ingress point and it's a different reminder of like hey chris you're also powerless over this and you're also powerless over that and also these other things and what i found is that as i've as i've been longer in this program the more time i spend in this program the recovery bit for me rather than absence is really accepting my powerlessness over more and more of life situations the more things unfold in me i am completely powerless over all of this stuff but i had to let go of the thing i was trying to control the most in order to fully surrender. And I think that's why going into the room saying, hey, I'm an addict, I'm powerless over this is so, so important. It, uh, I, I think you're so spot on in what you're saying. Um, it's, th there is something interesting about reworking the steps and because you don't have to. You technically did it. No one says you have to. But a lot of people who stay sober for a long time, they ha they kind of have this weird tendency to redo it over time again and again. And to your point, kind of with AA right now, it's I haven't had a drink in a very long time. I could probably go continue going to SAA meetings. But it's one of those. But it's, it's kind of like you. I keep cleaning my side of the street. I didn't see this mess before. I didn't know it was there. So I got to, you know, this would be a nice place to start. But the difference now is since I've surrendered in one program, I don't feel like I have the same barriers for surrendering. Do I feel like I don't want to at times? Absolutely. But I've done it. I It's not as unbearable as it was the first time around. It's not letting go in the same way now. It's more like accepting that I'm still letting go. Kind of to your point. It's just the ongoing surrender. And working the steps again feels like almost like a tribute to that in a bigger way. And say that I still need to find a sponsor. I still need to, you know, do the legwork to start doing it. But it feels very grounding. And it's funny when, at least for me, when I'm grounded and 
I let go of expectations. I don't need anything to happen. Nothing bad or good happens. I just get to, I just get to, you know, experience. And it kind of comes back to that point of, you know, regardless what happens at home, regardless what happens at work, I stop feeling that things are good or bad. It just is. And I'm kind of happy for, for either outcome. God, we talk about mm-hmm. that a lot. I think we talked about it in other episodes as well. You know, it's just it's your, the experience you're having. And it's, yeah. it comes with that first step, doesn't it? It's just saying, I'm okay, I'm okay with whatever comes my way. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's really interesting as, I, as I'm redoing the steps, that they feel very different this time. Because, I mean, certainly when I did it nearly 18 months ago, I was I was such at a point of desperation. and And so this powerlessness was... And, and in particular, the powerness around sexual behavior was very, very tightly contextualized, and it was right in my face, right? And and so my powerlessness list had all the stuff like around my acting out behavior and all the stuff and how, how it was destroying my life and how I was out of control. And now I'm writing this list. It's 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 a it's at a very different level. I've kind of crossed that boundary, and I'm into much broader areas. Right. So the things that are on my powerlessness is like, I can't control what my boss thinks about me. I can't control whether my friends like me. I can't control, um, like, like there's a, it's, it, there's a lot of emotional stuff in relationships. Yeah. And, and, and that's that. And it's really interesting because uh, I was discussing this with, with the person I was doing the exchange with is that I, I don't, I think if I'd have tried to, if I'd have written that, the first time round, I did the steps, I don't think I would have got sober, um, sexually sober. And, and, and the reason why, I, and I don't know this is true, but the reason I feel it's true is because it was kind of too, too abstract. It wasn't, it wasn't personal enough, enough <laughs> at the time. And it had to be really, really personal for me. And it had to hurt actually, because I was, yeah. I was in a lot of pain and I had to let this thing go. And, and so it's kind of interesting, you know, like I'll often, I, I find it unusual to be in a meeting, in an SA meeting, where there's at least one person in these introductions who I get, I get a sense that they kind of don't really want to say they're a sex addict. They kind of go, hi, I'm a recovering um, uh, love person, um, loving, or something like that. It, it feels like it's a little bit rounded off. It feels a little bit soft. And, and maybe that's just my perception of it. Um, but it's not one individual. It tends to happen fairly frequently. And I think, hmm, um, I know for me, if I dressed that up and didn't want to say I was an addict, then I am not getting to the bit which is, I got some pride here. This is not who I want to be. And the reality, it is part of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. And and I know I've had conversations with fellows sometimes who've said, They've they've really struggled with this thing about saying I'm an addict, and 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 the rationale, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but their rationale has been like, hey, if I say I'm an addict, then I'm bounding myself, I'm limiting myself, I'm labeling myself in an unhelpful way, and I don't think that helps my recovery. Is their argument, and you know, Eckhart Tolle says, don't define yourself by addiction. He actually had a little kind of podcast thing or a little episode where he kind of talks about, someone actually asked him a question about being an alcoholic. And he says, well, you know, that's, that's labeling yourself as an identity and that's not who you are. And, and so that's then kind of been picked up by some people in addictive programs saying, oh, well, Eckhart Tolle says you shouldn't label yourself. So I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an addict because that's, that's bad for my recovery. Uh, and I, I'm not sure that's right. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that's the addict brain kind of trying to go, I don't want to say this, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push it off. There's one thing about that I do like in recovery, though. My sponsor did this with me early. I, I, I told you about this the other day, but I shared with everyone else as well. It's um, when I started working with my sponsor, he kind of talked about, you know, what my inner circle, what I can do, what I shouldn't do. And I remember I asked him, because I wouldn't want to be like, what happens if someone wants, you know, a threesome with me and my wife? And looking back at that, it's a fairly silly question. But I was, but to the black and white thinking of an addict, I was like, what if something good comes my way? I can, what, will I never enjoy anything ever again? First of all, now I feel the question is irrelevant to begin with because it's not really interesting. But the point of it is it's, he, he said, you know what, let's try this for a bit. And then when, in a while, you can do it as much as you want. Like just just stop for a little bit. 
And it's kind of the same with, you know, not wanting to define yourself by a title, if that's a recovering addict in AA, NA, whatever else. At the end of the day, you can always go back to saying that, oh, I struggle with, you can give yourself, you can go Eckhart Tolle's way in 90 days if you want to, but try 90 for 90 and you probably feel a bit better, mm-hmm. right? And by by that standard, what does it harm? Does it hurt you to say? If it hurts your pride, then you probably need it anyways. If it hurts your ego, yeah. you definitely need it. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where I am with it a little bit because um, you, you could you could say, look, Eckhart Tolle is arguably a, a highly enlightened individual, and if you're deeply rooted in an addiction, you're not in the same place. So um, when to, to kind of put yourself in the same bucket as him and go, oh, he says it, it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me, feel, feels a little bit of a misrepresentation, you firstly. But uh, uh, when, I, when I saw him just before Christmas in London, mm. when you can get the entirety of Royal Albert Hall to get spiritually grounded just by your presence, <laughs> I'm not that guy. He yeah. managed to get an entire, we're talking thousands of people, to feel spiritually grounded. Mm. And there's a reason why there's only one of him, isn't it, really? Not to put him on a pedestal, but he, he has an ability to bring people together that a lot of other people cannot. Well, it's, it's a bit like, um, uh, I, I suspect what, what he's doing is he's, he's coming from a very grounded spiritual place. And then people align themselves to that. And it's a bit like, you know, I don't know if you've ever done like hypnosis and stuff like that. The easiest way to to get someone to be hypnotized is you hypnotize yourself and you kind of go, you, you put yourself in a trance and they follow you, you know? Um, so it's a bit like if you're there, you lead them there through your state of being. Um, yeah. But, you know, when, when Eckhart Tolle says, um, I am this or I am that, that's not who you are. And, and when he says, I am, He's coming from a very, very different understanding of what I is. And he's not coming from an egoic place. He's coming from a um, transcendental, different... He's coming from a very different place when he says, I am, yeah. right? He, he's coming from the witnesser, the, the, the soul that is witnessing in the present experience. So he's speaking from that I rather than the personality of the label of the form of Eckhart Tolle. Um, when you when you're slap banging addiction thinking that going acting out doing drugs is gonna like make you feel better you're not in the same place as i and so your understanding of what i is unless you can say i understand who chris is i understand who Stuart is and take that personality out and and witness that as a separate entity and you feel that and it's not a conceptual thing in your head you're doing that's your state of being then quite frankly like you're not in the same place i don't think and so saying I'm an addict is, or if I say I am something, I'm coming from my, normally I'm coming from my egoic personal self-identification place. And that part of me has definitely got some addictive qualities. It's not the only part of me, but I am an addict and I will do that stuff in that form, in that state of being. And so kind of taking it down a peg or two allows, I think, a window of opportunity to get out of your personality because the, 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 you're in your mind a lot. You know, in your addiction, you're t- constant. I'm certainly in, constantly in my mind all the time. And so just kind of acknowledging that my mind doesn't have the answer. My mind has, quite frankly, screwed a lot of stuff up in my life and made some terrible decisions um, and, and, and has convinced me that I'm doing the right thing when I'm not. That's what needs to change. So you know, and if there's resistance to that, then that's just more, that's more the same thinking. That's just more the same mind problem. So sitting with that knowledge, do you not feel when you're working the steps again, that you're almost breezing through them? Or are you able to tap into deeper things that still sit uncomfortably? Or do you I, just have a different I, relationship? I've got a new holdout. <laughs> a new holdout. I, I've got a, I, yeah, well, yeah. I, well, yes to both for me um, is, is my experience so far with it is that um, I, but, but, I'm not sure it's because I'm reworking the steps. Um, I think it's just where I am currently in my this this part of my life and my recovery is I I feel incredibly calm, particularly of late, and a, a huge amount of peace and serenity and gratitude, despite a lot of very um, turbulent stuff happening. Um, you know, I've got um, I've got a sibling who's um, going through cancer. Um, for, for a fair period of time, I had a f- close family 
um, member who was on a very serious road traffic accident and fractured their spine and hips and was in a trauma unit for 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 weeks. I've, I've got a change of boss. I've got a change of <laughs> a reorganization. Um, I've been ill for about six weeks, pretty reasonably seriously ill. Um, I've got my kids maybe being taken to another country. Uh, and it's just like all very good reasons to go act out, but actually just don't just don't feel like I particularly need to. And also don't particularly feel that I need to get angry and upset about it or afraid about it. And um, actually, I'm just in a place of actual gratitude for everything that I have in my life and just just a fair amount of trust. And, 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 and that trust has to come with uncertainty. I can't have trust if there's not things that are uncertain in my life. This is the yin and yang of life. And so for me to have faith, there has to be things that I'm uncertain and that I can't comprehend or don't understand how they're going to evolve. That's absolutely okay. And so I feel like that in the program. So when I'm working the steps around powerlessness and unmanageability, there are still things coming up for me, but it feels like it, it feels like in a very different place, in a very different level in particular. And what's coming up for me, I think is probably my last holdout, which is kind of work, which is um, looking to authority figures at work to validate my self-esteem, that I have to do things to be worthy. Um I've, I've for a very, very long time put a lot of my self-worth in, in, in my work and what I do um, to be seen as competent, to do a good job, to be respected, those kind of types of things. And to let that go for me personally is that's my kind of holdout. feels like that's my last kind of ditch thing. It's like, I don't want to let this go. So, yeah. Um, so that's kind of what's coming up for the steps for me rather than a, oh, I'm acting out and I can't stop using porn and I'm all over the place and ruining my life. You, you know, I, it, it's, it's, it's quite a different level, but it's a much, it feels like it's a much deeper emotional serenity and sobriety that I'm kind of getting to if, if, if you follow. I am following. And it's, you know, I've, I've felt through recovery that the more you uncover, the more you realize you don't know, sort mm -hmm. of. It, it just like the... The, the universe gets a little bit bigger every time you look at it a little bit harder. Um, do you feel like it's the same still, that you're actually still uncovering like new nuggets within yourself? Do you feel like, and also, do you feel like there's longer between them? Because I find I don't have the same impatience, but I do wish that, you know, the, the revelations could come a little bit faster at times. <laughs> patient to a point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Up to a limit, up, uh, you know, and, and then God, you need to give me some answers. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I, I might I might segue down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. So so if I if I go too deep, pull pull me back out by my ears. Um, when when we talk about layers of discovery and understanding, I I think I've mistakenly for a very very long time thought I could really get to the answer of really knowing myself. Like there'll be a truth that I would kind of get. Like it's possible. I might don't do it this lifetime, whatever. But it's possible to really fully know myself. And I've come to the understanding, at least the belief for me is that is not true. There will always be an unknown, always, a billion lifetimes, infinite lifetimes. I can never really know myself, and the universe can really never know itself. And and um. If, if you want to kind of know how I kind of came along that theory, there's a little bit of, it's like a little bit of the yin and the yang. It's like the, there's one side of being brought into the light of knowledge, but there's also the dark and the dark is always there. The, the unknown is always there. That frontier is always there. And and you can even grind it into, into mathematics. I think it's Gödel's theorem. Um, if you want to kind of Google it and look it up and I'm not a mathematician, so I won't explain it very well, but essentially with any system um for the system to be um have integrity there will always be an unknown element within that system that can never be explained with the information within that system and so if you treated your life or the universe whatever it is as a system there is always inherently within it an element of unknown of uncertainty of something that you will never know about yourself that the universe will never know about itself god will never know about itself wh whatever you want to say and that's a really interesting concept because then i kind of go well what the heck am i here for and that just like bakes my noodle a little bit because it's like what's the point and so i'm struggling with that but i, I say I might, I might have gone too far down the rabbit hole no 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 but, but it's you bring it back to a really interesting point and that is okay so if you were to say that that means that you're the solution which you're not 
right? If you had the last bit of information, you are critical, but you're not. And by not being critical, it kind of takes you out of the whole equation altogether. And I I feel like often for me, that's where I find solitude. And especially, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I took away from the recovery journey in general. I think it's just the fact that everything happens around me. I'm not happening with everything else and that's okay. But I used to feel like if I see the, I remember when I did my disclosure, I honestly thought there was this thought in the back of my head that the universe just like would have a reverse big bag. That's it. We're all gone. (laughs) Uh, You know, it didn't work that way. (laughs) Um, And that's, that's kind of where I find my peace in those moments where things get unbearable. It's actually going outside, looking at people in the street and just seeing the world still happening. It's not about me, actually. None of this is about me. Yeah. And it's kind of nice because now I can let go. I don't have to be about anything either. I can just be. I mean, it's incredibly stoic. Um, and I it's say, also... Inc- I say that, but I mean, it feels awful half the time. I mean, it's still <laughs> difficult, right? It's not- <laughs> well, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, to a point, like you were saying about earlier, like sometimes letting this stuff go gets easier because we get more practiced at letting stuff go. And... um. I I am getting increasingly comfortable with that. Um, I don't know how things are going to work out, and actually, I, I I will never know. And and this stuff is not in my control. Um, and it's just going to unfold the way it's going to unfold, and kind of that's okay. And it's I've been really one thing I've been increasingly grateful for is well, I'm always grateful for my wife, just in case she listens. Uh, but it's doing this journey alongside living with someone else. And it's really fascinating to see that relationship of letting go. I've gotten really good at it. I still have things that are important to me. Still, I work on, you know, I got my tier in life is still, you know, it's my wife and me, and then everything else falls underneath. And that's fine. But it's seeing, for example, for her, I can see a big thing around work is like, she gets a lot of value from work. And I can see from the sideline, an idea, and I, I don't know any everything, although I might talk like I do sometimes, that you know, if you just let go of this expectation that it's going to work out, for example, then it's going to work out. But if you don't put away your expectations, you're never going to get what you feel like you should. And just seeing that contrast, I, I find it very hard to sit with. And we talked about, kind of talked about it the other day, it's like letting that go. I find that difficult because now it feels like I got an answer. I know how I can fix something, but I don't. But at the same time, I kind of do. But also, it's like keep embracing the fact that there's infinite opportunities. And I need to be on the lookout for the stuff I didn't expect. The things outside of my, you know, peripheral. Yeah, you're you're triggering a thought in me, which is human beings have, have got this habit of trying to understand the world and explain things in a way that they can understand. And and it's when you think about it, really, it's a bit. It's a bit. Um, th- there's no reason why that should be the case. That we should be able to understand and explain things in a way that our little brains can can figure out. Because um, the universe is just way too big and complex for you know. You, I, I can't even understand the depths of quantum mechanics or complex financial instruments or you know all sorts of different things. You know, let alone everything in the universe and why things happen. Um, but I do, I do have this tendency and this desire to try and put things in, in in explainable terms to myself so my brain can figure it out. But it's also, it also reminds me that the, and I'm starting to learn this more and more, which is that the, the, the answer on a spiritual journey and a spiritual path is experiential and through emotional and, and and the experience we have in our life, not in our head. It is not a conceptual understanding. It is not a thought process. And and, and it kind of, when you think about it, you kind of take a step back and go, well, where is addiction? Well, my addiction starts in my head. It starts with fantasy. It starts with thought. We can't think our way out of this problem. Yeah. You know, what do they say when you get into the rooms? It's like, stop trying to think, just, just bloody do the actions. Stop trying to think your way out of it, you know? And, it, and it's a bit like, you know, uh, it's a bit like, is it when Zen masters tell students who ask too many questions, they give them a koan, which is like, what's the sound of one hand clapping? If a tree falls in the woods and no one's around, does it make a sound? Like th- these are, these are kind of questions which have no answer. And, and that, uh, and they're given to students who repeatedly ask questions about their own spiritual path. And it's, it's, I think it's to get them out of their head because, <laughs> because yeah. the answer to a spiritual 
journey into recovery and a, and a connection with a higher power isn't in your head. It's, it's outside of your head. So you've kind of got to park your head. You've got to park your thinking and put all that to one side. And so when we come into the program, we ask a million questions. We want to know the answer. We'll figure it out. It's like, well, you're kind of, kind of, kind of walking upstream again, fella. <laughs> you know, get, turn around, get back downstream. It, it is. But one thing I feel like recovery does really well, you know, in the lot of literature that tell you to read. And I don't know about others, but when I came into the program, I didn't read a single book in a year. I didn't even read a single of my textbooks in uni, right? Mm. And suddenly you get other people's thoughts in your head. And that's helpful. It's, just like, it's almost like it breaks up your own dialogue a bit. You might read a clever phrase, a, cre- a clever chapter somewhere. And then suddenly that dialogue changes quite a bit. That fantasy you talk about or that, like the mind's ability to kind of run a bit on its own, it's suddenly gone. Because now I'm thinking, say, if you wrote a book, it's like, oh, but now I can sit and you know chew on the statement from this book for about a week and then I grow. I have less noise in my head, but effectively, it was just less of me in there. I just invited someone else in. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the personality and, and the identification of self. It, it, I, I feel it gets. I, I feel that I, the longer I do in this program, um, what I'm learning really to do is take the personality of Stuart out. And it's a bit like a solar eclipse, right? Um, the, the the object that great big lumpy object in the in the sky called the moon kind of gets in the way of my higher power yeah right and and my higher power is always there there's a halo of it around the edges but um if i can move that out of the way and it's less frequent and it's less this it's not as um predominant in my life and and that's my personality my will my desire my opinions on things if i can move that out of the way right and, and it doesn't want to move because it's pretty bloody self-righteous <laughs> you know and it kind of because it doesn't know anything other than itself it only knows its own personality if i can move that out and this is what i was kind of going back to like who is the i is the i the moon which is my personality or is the i really my higher power acting through which is the kind of sun sun behind it? I, if i can move my personality out who i am who i really am and who you really are can start to kind of shine through and start to be more present and, and enacted through your life sure but i mean it, then again who you are is kind of irrelevant because at the end of the day there's one word in recovery that goes again and again that isn't said too much outside of the rooms i feel like that's service I know some days I'm really not loving life or things are difficult, but if I can do some, if I can tidy up a bit home in service to my partner, or I can give someone a call, probably it's a little, mostly for me, but in service, like I sometimes call fellows because I'm having a shit day. I want to talk, mm-hmm. so I'm going to listen. So I call them to ask them, how's your day going? And I'll be quiet until they're done because that's my service. And then I feel better. I didn't need to talk about my problems. Mm-hmm. They're in my head anyways. And it's, yeah, I've noticed in the program, the more service I do, and as long as it's not too much, I mean, there's, there's, there's boundaries that should be respected. But when I get out of my own head and I do something nice for others, then it doesn't matter who I am or what I feel like. I'm adding to something. I'm useful. I finally have a use. Because if I, 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 kind think, of, I think what you're, de- I think what you're describing is you're being of use to your higher power. Maybe, or maybe. But I wouldn't know that, right? All I know is that I'm trying to do something good. I mean, what the butterfly effect is of tidying up at home, I don't know. Sure. But yeah. Well, here's the thing. How how do you know when you got an, when you feel something that you want to do something or make a decision? How do you know whether it's you, i.e., your Chris's personality, or it's your higher power speaking through you? How do you know? I know in one scenario, and hmm. when I was sitting in that room, not wanting to say what I was, like saying I was an alcoholic, that uncomfortable feeling that's my higher power kind of telling me, do you know what? It, maybe it's time you, you do that for you. Because I've noticed whenever I listen to that feeling and I do the opposite of what it tells me, because that feeling tells me don't do it. Hmm. If I do the opposite, then I feel grounded. Because it's kind of so like my, my higher power is the opposite of that voice in my head, right? A lot of the time. Yeah, and actually that's what I was just going to pick up in, in your answer, which, which really resonates for me is that it, my higher power is not in my head. My higher power is in my emotions and what I feel. Now, that doesn't mean everything I feel instantly in my body is my higher power because I might feel afraid or angry or upset, and those things kind of come up. Um, and then my my mind makes a narrative on it. But when I think about what my real higher power is from an emotional point of view, it would be love, it would be kindness, it would be compassion, it would be service, it would be giving. Um, it would be 
fairness, it would be justice. Those kind, of, not not like justice in kind of like DC Comics crap, but you know, it's, you know that kind of type. You know, a real. Um, and I'd have gratitude, and I'd have love in my heart, and it would be open. And I'll be trying to do things that didn't cause harm that would be the least harmful kind of way forward rather than I think I want to do this because I'm right in my opinion and so when I have that I go okay well then maybe my higher power is acting for me and if I've got some fear I've got some resistance I've got some chatter in my head that's 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 the moon that's the personality stupid probably thing it's really hard to see the difference sometimes it is but to your point of like not understanding quantum mechanics right that for me is feelings. It's it could be it could be mm. one, the other, or a little bit in between, or not nothing at all. It can be whatever. And as soon as I look at it, it changes. Right. As soon as I see the fear, I'm not fearful anymore. Now I'm something else. So it's if I don't mm. know if, for anyone who don't know quantum mechanics, the reason why I haven't figured it out is because as soon as you look at the result, it's not valid anymore. So that's the reason why I'm saying that. So it changes, doesn't it? <laughs> it it changes does when you observe it. <laughs> which is what that's what you're trying to solve yeah. for. How can we actually take the math out of it? Because well, we don't know. It doesn't write things down. Uh, the point of saying that is, so you're, I mean, in, in recovery, you know, when you try to find an answer, you try to figure yourself out through the steps, but the end of it, it is not figuring yourself out. That's actually, that wasn't the point of it at all. You kind of, I feel like learn to sit with your feelings a bit. You learn to maybe navigate your feelings a bit. You know, that you notice when the tide rises, when the tide falls within yourself, when the stress rises, stress falls, uncomfortability rises, uncomfortability goes away but you still don't need an answer. I It's been a while since I've needed something to be true. You could tell me something that's uncomfortable. I don't need to prove you wrong anymore. I, I don't need to prove me right. I just need to sit with that feeling for a bit and suddenly I'll feel what feels more right. And as long as that doesn't take away from me or anyone else, I don't think I'm wrong anymore. And that kind of brings it back to service. If I'm uncertain, like some days I sit at home and I have nothing to do and I feel a bit terrible. A little bit of service goes a long way. You know, do a little bit for someone else. Can rarely go wrong. And if I don't know what to do, I call someone, do service. But I don't have to figure out why I'm not feeling good anymore. I don't know if that took us down another rabbit hole. Probably did. No, it's it's, it's good. I mean, it's reminded me of why I got into this program. I got into this program because... um, I couldn't deal with my addictive behavior. But why I, why I had that addictive behavior was because I wasn't dealing with life. I didn't have a program to deal with life. And, and this, is, this is kind of what I didn't understand when I got in the program. Is I thought, this program is here to help me with deal with sex addiction. I'll do a meeting a week for a month and then I'll be done, right? Like, like uh, I, th- this is good, yeah? I only it need is. to do this for like two, three months, right? We've all had, we've all had that. Even in a prescription doc. Yeah, oh, yeah, well. it's like, this. Yeah, I'll be done and I'll go back to the old shit. And then what, then, you know, what I think a lot of us realize is that, hey, that's not the problem. The problem is that, as an addict, we have no idea how to do with life. The, the 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 drug is because we we don't have a program for life. We don't know how to handle the emotions and difficulties of life. And so, having a program that allows us to deal with that, um, and in particular, goes back to kind of step one, which is like, hey, I am powerless over it. Because because the reality is, this, like, I'm also powerless over my thoughts. Because I get thoughts in my head and go, where the hell did that come from? Did you ever struggle? And I'm with also powerless over my Sorry, I was just going to say, did you ever struggle in recovery just not identifying with your thoughts as well? Like not taking every thought you have as your own, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you reminded me of an Eckhart Tolle, another Eckhart Tolle one where he kind of says, um, sometimes you kind of get a thought and you realize it's not your own. And 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 it was like, oh, yeah, I've kind of, I'd had an inkling of that. Of like, I, there are thoughts that I, that I, I go, they're mine. And then there's sometimes these other thoughts that, and this is probably sounding really weird to people. Like I, I am, I am not hearing Jesus Christ talking in my, in my head or, or things like that, you know, just in case you want to lock me up. But the, sometimes I get thoughts and I get, I get a thought and it goes, that's not my thought. I don't know where that came from. Like it came from the ether. Do you know what I call that voice? I, I noticed the more I worked through recovery, there was like this voice that's very quiet. It's silly, probably part of me. I mean, we're all made out of the same things, but the less, the more I could tune on the volume of my addict, the more I could hear that tiny voice in the back mm. of my head. It never got louder. It still isn't. As soon as I got a little bit riled up, I can't hear it. But it's, a, yeah, mm. it's that voice that's been like, maybe that wasn't yours. Maybe that just was an uncomfortable thing we just made up right now. We can let that go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so I I have not complete control over the thoughts and the stuff that comes into my head. And particularly like stuff in around addiction, because it kind of gets in and it takes over. And if if I indulge and play with it, it it I'm off to the races. And I can't control the feelings. You know, like I get feelings that come up. I go, I don't want this feeling, but I can't control it. I can't get rid of it. And so if I acknowledge that I'm powerless of my own thoughts and feelings a lot of the time, then I can just have to hand that over. And that's kind of part of the program as well for me. It's okay. I just let that go. And it is what it is. I surrender it. I don't think people outside the programs realize what a luxury that really is. Like it, it, it's just you give away your backpack constantly. You don't have to oh, carry you know anything. What? I can just like take it. And God will just say, Sure. That's fine. Did you got you anything else in it? <laughs> it 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 feel it felt so hard to do it. Oh, yeah. It felt so hard to do it. There was so much resistance for me to really, you know, to really let this stuff go. And then when I started to do it, I felt really guilty. I'm like, wait a minute, this is really easy. Like, I don't have to worry about all this stuff. I don't have to figure stuff out for other people. I don't have to make life right. I don't have to. I don't have to iron out the Himalayas <laughs> with a little hand iron and get it all flat. I don't have to do that. And it's like, oh my god, this is like super easy. I just need to just be. Is it really that simple? And it's like, yeah, it is really mm. that simple. So you say that, but when you're sitting in it or when, I don't know if you still get that. I get that sometimes. The feelings just kind of become too much and it feels impossible again. I I have to say I've experienced in the last few months where really intense stuff comes up and I go, this, this would normally, and it's a little bit surprising because uh, there's a feeling of like, Sometimes I get a feeling I know who I am because of familiarity. When an emotion comes, something happens, an emotion and a thought comes up, and I'm so used to it, it's like, oh, that's who I am. And then I don't, and then something happens that would normally trigger the heck out of me. And I don't go into that spiral and I don't get all over the place. And I'm like, oh, I don't feel like me anymore because I'm not behaving like me. I don't feel like me anymore because I don't have the same emotions. And, and so I'm finding that stuff is easier, like stuff that was normally knocking me for six, that I would have to go through this big mental yeah. and emotional thing to kind of work it out in my system. It's just kind of coming in. It's literally just passing through and I'm going, oh, like it's like a tumbleweed that went by. I was like, oh, that, that, was, was that meant to be some big drama thing that I just didn't have a drama over? Okay, that's gone. Cool. It is what it is. And it's really, it's quite dislocating actually the first first several times it happens because it's not what I've experienced for 40 odd years. I, something difficult happens. I feel like crap. I go into a spiral. My thoughts go all over the place. It makes me feel worse. I stress, I worry, I get angry, I get resentful, I get self-righteous. I plan scenarios that might, none of that happened. I just went, ah, well, that's in the future, not happening. See, I, I, still have I, I feel like i might be young in recovery but i still feel like i grasped that tumbleweed to play on your analogy i grasp it for a bit and then i'm kind of confused why am i why am i holding this and at mm-hmm. some point i've started to notice it but usually I go a little bit down the spiral a little bit first before you know it's before i actually realize what's going on progress and, not perfection right or i mean like, like, like for, the, the fact the fact you've got an awareness that you're doing it and then making a choice to kind of let go is 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 massive massive progress i think from where you may have been even six months or two years ago something like that it certainly has been for me totally do you know what the pride i feel in those moments the pat on the back i give myself it feels so good because it feels like finally it feels like adulting in a really responsible way it's like Mm. didn't lash out today i caught it before it happened i put myself like i put my ego away good work yeah that's yeah, tough. and 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 I and I'm starting as well as well. Like again, I, I I'm focusing more on the inputs, not the outputs. Of like, I can't control this situation, right? So I'm having a difficult conversation with something with someone, which is emotionally volatile. There's a lot of emotion in it. There's a lot of um commitment and investment in it, and it's difficult. And there's no easy options in this conversation. And there's some hard things that we need to talk about. But I'm going into that conversation thinking, how can I how can I best serve? How can God best act through me in this moment? How can I best serve 
not cause any harm and, and really have kindness, love and compassion in my heart in this moment. And I'll just focus on these inputs and, and the outputs are just going to be the outputs, right? And, and I don't have to worry about that at all. And it feels a real cop out. It feels like it because I'm so used to going through a working life and a career, making sure the outcomes come out right. And it's just like, I don't need to do that anymore. I so, don't need to do that. I just need to do the right inputs and every, and everything else is easy. It'll just happen the way it'll happen. An approach I've used a little bit to to make that easier. And anyone who's done sales who might be listening is probably going to recognize this, but it's, you know, when you call, I don't know if you actually know, but when you cold call people, yeah. if for the first like X amount of calls, just go in with, they're going to say no. Now, if you go into every conversation, like they've already said no, then actually it, you'd be surprised how many yeses you start getting. Same with like, if I go into the conversation with my partner that, you know, I'm not going to get my way anyway, so might as well see what she says. Well, I'm surprised. Usually every time it works out. If I mm. do the same at work, instead of, oh, I don't, I'm probably not going to get my way, so I might as well hear what the boss has to say. And suddenly I ask great questions. I might actually get my way in the end, but I never intended for it. It just happened, but there was no resistance because it already, it was already no. And if it, the more I do that it, in recovery, the easier it often gets because, say, I mean, it, I'm struggling to find like a recovery. It, recovery is kind of like you can't do it anyway, so it's kind of hard to go in with, oh, I already failed, so I might as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think maybe what you're describing, though, is an intent versus an outcome. Totally. You know, like bring, bring, bring a recovery intent into every interaction you have and then don't worry about the outcome because that's what you can't control. You... That's a, it's, or you could say that's a serenity prayer. It's you, you're you're gonna have the courage to change the things you can, and and the wisdom to know the stuff and you to can. know the difference, right? That you can't second change, half the there took me so long to get in recovery. Oh. The wisdom to know the difference, and when it when that finally clicks, oh, I've been saying this for months. But yeah. you you talked about it the other day. I I called you. I had some difficult feelings. And I you actually talked about this in terms of what's your intent going into. Mm. this like I, I have a few difficult conversations with someone and it was surprising the difference that made just the intent of going in okay i'm going to lead with love i'm going to deal not yeah. with my ego not with what i want but you know what what that other my benefit the other person just take myself out of the equation i had no resistance in that conversation <laughs> i had no stake and funnily enough i didn't get the result i wanted or the result i expected but I got a result that I was really okay with. It wasn't <laughs> something I desired, but mm. it's still the outcome was good. It's funny that it just, the, I desired, I mean, essentially both, you know, again, it's like putting yourself away. What I desired was something different, but it doesn't mean that what I got wasn't good enough, that that wasn't something that made me happy. There's a, there's a phrase in a, a separate set of circles I kind of socialize with, and they, they, there's a, it's something like, you, you don't get what you want, you get what you need. Yeah, you know, and it's a similar thing. If if you if you bring the right, if you bring, you know, I kind of think about it this way. You know, when we when we have interactions with people, what we're doing is we're sowing seeds. We're sowing seeds with our intent. And if you sow apples seeds, you're only going to grow apple trees. You're not going to grow figs. You're not going to grow oranges or bananas or anything else, right? So, what are you sowing? And sometimes people forget that. Like they think, you know, if I if I go in with a with an intent to change that other person because they're wrong then you're trying your intent really is to try and control someone else yeah. and if you sow that seed that's all you're going to get you're going to get a tree of control and manipulation and lack of acceptance of the other person and all the other stuff that kind of goes with that rather than saying okay i'm going to come into this conversation and i'm going to sow compassion kindness love in this interaction and i don't know what this tree is going to grow into i don't know what it's going to look like but i'm going to get a love tree <laughs> i'm going to get yeah. a compassion tree i'm going to get a, a, get a tree of kindness and and it will bear that fruit right it, it's not going to change halfway through you've got to bring the right intent you've got to sow the right seeds it's um, actually that way of thinking is something i used a lot in the last i don't know six or so months it's looking at the out it sounds so silly saying it out mm -hmm. loud but looking at what i want to say on outcome first and working backwards because I okay, I might still not kind of to your point. I might not still get that exact outcome. Probably ballpark, not too far off. As long as I'm leading with kindness and love to begin mm. with, you're probably not 
too far away from what where you should be anyways. Like my recovery is looking yeah. different than I thought it would, kind of to your point. Do a meeting a month and then you just healed, right? Well, it didn't work out quite that way. But I have a new home and that's like in usually church rooms and meetings mm. or whatever else the meeting might be. But that's where I feel at home. And it's it's just it just seems like a lot of fun that way as well. Just going, hey, let's see what let's see what's gonna come out. You know, and um me and my wife, we went out for dinner yesterday and, you know, in New York is quite bustling on a Saturday night. We went to really, we actually went to a really nice restaurant to celebrate that we, you know, we mm-hmm. finally moved, settled. Um, and you see everyone who's going out, it's kind of this big thing and people like want to connect so bad with each other. Um, so we, we bought between a few bars just to see what was up. I, as usually in recovery, just get overwhelmed right now in bars. So I just be like, let's go to the restaurant instead. But one thing I noticed there, it's the, I don't feel at home anymore. And I never thought that. I used to work in that industry. I used to live in that industry. I don't feel like I belong now. Life threw me curveball. I feel like I belong in recovery rooms. I don't mm. resonate with other people anymore. I find it really difficult to really connect with other people other than recovering addicts. Don't know why. Well, I mean, it could be that well, you're, you're you're having an experience which is going to something which is meaningful for you, um, and other people are on that journey, and then they're all we're all at different stages, but we're all on a journey, and we're all having a we're all sharing this kind of experience of these these fundamental questions right they're quite deep and they're quite philosophical about who we are why we're here what's the point of our, our existence here what, what is a meaningful life how are we harming people how are we not harming people i mean like these are these are good things to healthy wholesome things to kind of preoccupy your mind rather than how much money did you make last week how many friends have you got on twitter what whatever it is i you know uh, they're, they're very very different things of conversation and you know we i know we've talked about this in previous episodes of just that there is an awful lot of distraction in the modern world and um in every way you look and i think as i feel very grateful as an addict that i had a distraction which was really 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 compelling right and it really it really screwed me over um but because of that i had to stop doing it and I had to, and it, and it, and again, it's it's that line in in step one, which is okay. It starts with the addiction, but that's the ingress point. It's not the end point. And I am powerless of all this other stuff, which is I am running away from all the stuff that I don't want to do in my life. I'm fed up of distracting myself, and I just want to stop doing that. I want to slow my life down because I'm running through life so bloody quickly that I am I'm not looking at myself anymore. I'm not looking at how I'm interacting with people. I'm, I'm acting out of fear. I'm reacting. I am getting angry and self-righteous and um, throwing negative emotions around and trying to control people because I'm not even stopping. And I just, and so when we get into this program, the first thing we do is we put the brake on the addictive behavior because that's like, like causing so much damage. And then it's, okay, let's, let's slow this whole flywheel of life down. That's what it's been for me. And my life is just way, way, way slower. And I kind of look around. It's like, you know, it's, it's, there are times when it's busy, but I have, I have had the longest period of peace and gratitude I've ever had in my life. And, and, and the longer I spend in recovery, the more I have that. And I, I, I have a huge gratitude and, and just kind of just going, just kind of back to about this piece of, um, Having an, an have sowing the right seeds, having an intent, but not expecting an outcome. I've I've noticed that I've I've started to combine my prayers with my gratitude list. So I I, I think I might mention this to you offline. Is that I I've, I when I pray, I thank my higher power and God for all the things in my life, and I, I can spend ten minutes just praying, just with huge amounts of gratitude, of relationships and financial security in my home um, and, and you know there's things I might not like about in my job but there's a ton of stuff that is actually really great about my job and my relationships and friends and family coming in and the really bizarre thing I found is that as I pray on that stuff more of it comes in more of it like to the point I'm going I feel a little bit overwhelmed by just 
all the goodness and the richness and the abundance coming into my life, it's like really, really quite alarming of just how quickly it's changing. Um, and I, and I, I just feel that's about setting the right intent and setting the right connection with the higher power in a way, you know? It, is, it almost shows like how easy you can help program, reprogram yourself in a sense as well. I mean, because if you keep looking at things you're grateful for, chances are you're going to find things you're grateful for. Same with the other thing, right? If you look at everything you don't have, chances are you're going to find a whole lot more you don't have. Um, and it's, you know, nurturing that habit. I can see why it's one of those things every sponsor asks, their sponsee to do, you know, three gratitudes every night or however many, you know, start with being sober and mm -hmm. come up with another two. doesn't matter what they are. Yeah. Or just well, well, well. Actually, my, my, my sponsor would give me uh, yeah, ten things I'm grateful for, five things I'm grateful not to have in my life. Um, I've, uh, but I, I, I don't just stop there now. But the other thing as well about gratitude is, if you're grateful for something, it's real. It's in your life in this present moment because you're grateful that you've got it That's a good and point. you have it. And if you're not grateful for something, if you're thinking about you're afraid of something you're not afraid of something that's happening right now. You're probably afraid of something that might happen in the future. Or if you're resentful about something, you're resentful about something that's already happened. So you're not in the present moment. If you're grateful, it brings you into this present moment of like, this is my reality in this moment. And for anyone who's listening, back. who finds that difficult, when Stu introduced me to daily sobriety renewals or like DSRs, one of the last questions is, you know, three things you're grateful for and three things you like about yourself. And I think on our first call, I couldn't find three things I was grateful for, nor could I find three things I like about myself. Same. <laughs> that persisted after my first call for, for about a week. I really, weeks, I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything. I know, but now yeah. it's the quickest question. I can identify the noise and disturbance. Mm -hmm. So like that can go on forever, really. But when we get to that mm -hmm. question, it's actually, I can give you three right now and it, it's going to take you know 10 yeah. seconds because it's not hard anymore and mm -hmm. it's it, depending on a day depending on a feeling it can be difficult but it's easier mm. yeah well i would say i am very grateful um that we've managed to connect again uh i'm grateful you had a good move um and i can see the sunny new york sun behind your head um and i'm really grateful we we managed to kind of connect and um you know it's been a little while since our last episode but uh it's been a lot happening so yeah i i'm really grateful for these calls and that we're, we're still running we're still running them i agree i mean now there's just more stability hopefully there's gonna mm -hmm. be more Hopefully, yeah. no. There will be more coming. That's the intent. That's oh yeah, no, well, no yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, um, I've got a bit of extended leave coming up actually. So I've, uh, as you know, I, so I've kind of got, you know, kind of the next kind of four or five months off. Um, uh, so I'm taking some time out um, to rethink my life again and uh, spend some time with the family and um, and yeah. So uh, we'll we'll have some more podcasts coming soon. I think a lot of time. You'll start working again, I'm sure. But just the, the day I get on leave, you'll, you'll get a job. Probably. That's how it works, right? But that's, <laughs> yeah, we'll work is, with yeah. it, see what happens. Yeah. Listen, I, it was a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, as always. Till cool. next time. Take care, Chris. Thanks. Bye.